1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth. This is, by the way, the first verse 19 is a recap from last week, so we can roll on into our context as we continue. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you once again for your word. We love your word. Your word is truth. Ask you to bless this study. We ask you to impart deeper understanding of your truth as we study this passage together in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is where we ended last week. By this we know that we are of the truth. We talked about the fact to be of the truth is to be of Jesus, right? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not just some great teacher, some great shaman or mystic that brought forth some great truths. He is the embodiment of the truth. He is the source of all truth. By this we know we are of Jesus and shall assure our hearts before him. And we'll talk more about that later on in the message, how it's important to be able to go before the Lord with an assurance, a confidence. And that's not based upon us. It's based upon our knowledge of him and who he is and what he's done for us. Let's pick it up in verse 20. For if, some translations include the word when. For if when our hearts condemn us, it's not if, there will be those times when we will, within our own hearts, feel a sense of condemnation. And I'll give you some encouraging information about that in a moment. But if, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. This is yet another reason, you hear me say so often, people will, will say, oh, well, I'm just following my heart. And I say, that's not really a good idea. Now, if you're... If you're yielded over to the Lord, if you're filled with the Spirit, which is available to every believer, when you're born again by the Spirit of God, yes, then when we're walking with Him, abiding with Him, then He can implant within our hearts and minds the right thoughts, the right attitudes. We can be led and guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, but the heart in and of itself is not all that reliable. So this is another reason not to just listen to your heart. Uh, feelings, nothing more than feet. If that's how you're living your life, you're in trouble. Nothing more than feelings. And here's an important distinction. Because John is talking about if when our hearts condemn us. The good news is God is greater than our heart. And we listen to Him. The Holy Spirit does and will convict us of our sin, which is a good thing. That's like he's our divine physician diagnosing our spiritual condition 
And if you have a serious illness, you would want the proper diagnosis, would you not? So that it can be properly treated. So the Holy Spirit convicts, but it's always out of love because He doesn't want us to be spiritually sick. The Holy Spirit convicts, but this is so important to grab a hold of and hang on to. He does not condemn. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, sometimes we get a little tripped up. Maybe we do, hopefully, briefly only, but if we, if we get in the flesh, as we say, then yeah, that's where the enemy has an opportunity to come in and heap condemnation on us. But as long as we're walking in the Spirit, he can't do that. And when condemnation does come, we have to realize, recognize, and understand immediately that's not from God because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we just keep our spiritual antenna up, we can tell very quickly where it's coming from. If it's conviction, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. Wow, God, thank you for showing me that. I don't want to keep going on in this sin. I need to confess that before you, Father, repent, and get back on the right track. But condemnation has a sense of hopelessness that comes with it, whereas conviction has a sense of hope. You see the difference? The three enemies of our faith, according to the Scriptures, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they work hand in hand to condemn us. See, our own flesh will do that. That's why he says when our hearts condemn us. The world, the flesh, and the devil work hand in hand to condemn us so that we might become discouraged and give up on following God. Do you, any of you here this morning know someone like that? That happened to them. They didn't recognize the source of this condemnation. They began to feel helpless and hopeless and they kind of gave up on following God. That's the devil's goal. If he can't prevent you from becoming a believer, from being born again, then he will come after you as a believer and try to heap condemnation on you so that you feel like it's hopeless and you want to give up. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I suspect a number of people in this room have felt that way at one time or another. Recognize the source. It's the enemy, the devil, the one who comes, John 10, 10, but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I love this where John says in verse 19 here, God is greater than our hearts. He created our hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows us inside and out. He knows all things. Now this might scare you a little bit, but it's also good news. He knows you better than you know you. He knows me better than I know me. And the, what's amazing is he still loves us. Right? He proved it. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. He's greater than our hearts. Our hearts can be deceptive. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things. See why I said don't trust it? And desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. See, especially within Christian circles, within the body of Christ, we can either be too strict, 
legalistic, self-righteous, judgmental. And then when you turn that back on yourself, you become guilt-ridden and self-condemning. That's one tendency we have. See, the human tendency is always to go to one extreme or the other. Where God is trying to get us to live a balanced life, walking in the Spirit, walking in Christ. So on the one side, you'll have this ultra-legalism. Again, and that, that contributes to this helplessness and this hopelessness. You know, I've met people through the years. It's, things have changed a lot, and the pendulum has swung to where the church is tending more and more towards liberalism, where once it tended towards legalism. But I remember, I think she was a hairstylist. She might have cut my hair years ago. Believe it or not, I got one at one time. <laughs> but young mother, she had been through a divorce, and right when she needed it the most, her church rejected her because of that. But now the pendulum has swung to where no big deal at all. It should be in the middle. We should follow the truth of God's word. God hates divorce. We should do everything we can to prevent it, to avoid it. But when it does happen, God's grace, His mercy, His love should come flooding in to minister to that person. Amen. See, what we need to do, and what I need to do as a pastor, is do everything in my power with God's help and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to encourage you guys and myself not to sin. But after the sin has occurred, then it's time for healing. It's time for grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. If there's even one sin that God won't forgive, then we might as well toss the whole thing. Christ's blood covers any and every sin. Now, again, when you get into this area of legalism, there's a belief that, well, Christ's blood will cover any sin before you're saved. But after you're saved, you better not sin again. That, by the way, that's Arminianism. You better not sin again after you get saved or you're going to lose your salvation. Really? We've seen in these studies in 1 John, God already knows, even though we're told not to sin, these things John says, I've written to you that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, and he says that because he knows we will, we have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus, our advocate, our defense attorney, to stand before God. Father, I know, you know, Gary's not perfect, but he's mine. And he's washed in my blood. So we might be either legalistic, too strict, guilt-ridden, self-condemning, or too lenient. Libertine, lawless, carnal. And see, that's how the devil works. Uh, a little bit earlier on in our nation's history, post-World War II perhaps, even before, many, many churches were very legalistic, condemning. But now more and more as we've gotten into the 21st century, we see just the opposite. We see the lawlessness, the libertine lifestyle, the carnal lifestyle. So again, we can't really trust our hearts. We need to trust God. We cannot trust ourselves in self-examination without the help of God's Holy Spirit. David, Psalm 119, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. God, please show me, because I'm doing my best to cover it up and to hide from it. But Lord, I don't want it to be there. I know it'll make me sick, spiritually, maybe even physically. They say that as much as 80% of illness is tied to our mental, emotional condition. It's 
spiritual condition would come in there too. Therefore, this is really actually a word of comfort from John. God is the all-knowing and all-loving God. Our hearts, if or when our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our heart. We can turn to Him. We don't have to go through life in condemnation and guilt. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And by the way, that's God, what God wants for us. Uh, unfortunately, some branches of Christianity would lead people to believe that we should not have confidence before God. Now, there, again, here we go, two extremes. You have the faith movement where we really, literally are supposed to tell God what to do. Name it, claim it. Blab it, grab it. Nab it and stab it. We're not supposed to tell God what to do. He's supposed to tell us what to do. But then you have, the, again, the other side of the coin, the other extreme, that we're, we're not to have any confidence before God. In fact, we don't even know if we're going to heaven. We might wind up in purgatory or worse. That's not how God wants us to live our lives. He wants us to have our hearts confident before Him. Again, not based upon our own good works, but upon, based upon His love, His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness. If our hearts do not condemn us, and God doesn't want our hearts to condemn us, we have confidence. How do we make sure that our hearts do not condemn us? Well, John gives us that answer. First of all, 3 John 1, 3 John is writing, again, to some of his dear children in the Lord. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. If we want to have confidence before the Lord, if we don't want our hearts to condemn us, then we need to continue to walk in the truth. Again, sadly, some people approach their faith as though it's just a one-time experience I went forward on Sunday, I accepted Christ, and by the way, I heartily encourage that if you've never done it. The Bible clearly indicates a public profession of faith is important. But when Jesus was there in Galilee, he walked the seashore, he called Peter, James, John, Andrew, right out in front of God and everybody. They were in the fishing boats with their fathers, with the other men who were working with them, and he called them publicly. They got out of the boat and they followed Jesus. It was only when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was trying to become an undercover brother. <laughs> but when Jesus confronted people on their, their belief, their faith, their salvation, he did it publicly. And by the way, if you can stand up in public and say, I believe in Jesus, you're starting down the right path. If we want to make sure our hearts do not condemn us, we need to continue to walk in the truth. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light. I guarantee you, you might be a believer, but if you go around walking in the dark, do you know what I mean by walking in the dark? Doing things you ought not to be doing with people you shouldn't be with. I guarantee you, you will feel condemned. I mean, forgiveness is just a prayer away, but if you're not walking in the light you're a prime target for the devil to heap condemnation upon you. So if there's anyone here today that as you have come this morning, you are dealing with condemnation. It's not from God. It's from the devil. But you've got to straighten up and fly right if you want to get rid of it. 
And that's no way to live, brothers and sisters. Feeling continuously condemned. And by the way, if you are walking in the truth and if you're walking in the light, even as some legalistic brother or sister tries to heap condemnation on you or the devil tries to do it, they're not going to succeed because you know you're in right standing with God. You're not perfect, but you are forgiven. You're walking in the light. You're walking in the truth. It's called putting on the full armor of God. First, continue to walk in the truth. Next, as we've been talking about this lately, make every effort to walk in love. Be quick to forgive and very slow to be offended. Because, see, it has a boomerang effect. If you're not walking in love, if you're not lo loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're harboring offense, unforgiveness, you think you're directing it towards them, but it boomerangs back on you. And so God's Word says don't come before Him in worship without first repairing damaged relationships. Again, to the best of your ability, if you have an uncooperative other person involved, there's only so much you can do. And sometimes, even if they're not receptive, even if they're not open then you can go to God and you can ask Him to forgive you for your anger, for your bitterness, for your unforgiveness. You can repent before the Lord. If you have someone who's willing to cooperate, that's great. There can be reconciliation. But even if they're not willing, you can be reconciled to God. And that's what He wants. Romans 14, 19, Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. We're called to be peacemakers and, as Christians. You know that, right? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, Paul says, therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Literally and also figuratively because he said, I'm a bond slave, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was also in prison. The prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in verse 26 of Ephesians 4, Be angry and do not sin. God, again, knows there are times when we as human beings are going to get mad. But He said in the process, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Deal with it. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And that's what happens when we harbor anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, and we don't deal with it right away by going to God, confessing, repenting, asking for His forgiveness, and when possible, making things right with that other person. Then the devil begins to do his work. And it's called a root of bitterness. And the scriptures say it defiles many. And it defiles no one worse than the very one who has that root of bitterness in them. So if you don't want your heart to condemn you, you need to continue to walk in the truth. You need to make every effort to walk in love. Be quick to forgive and very slow to be offended. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Wow. 
without which no one will see the Lord. Well, I had an experience just recently. I was riding my, my uh, three-wheel motorcycle down Tramway. Oh, you wimp, you ride a three-wheeler? Listen, I've done plenty of... I started riding a bike when I was 17. I did 40-plus years on a two-wheeler. I think I deserve a three-wheeler. I don't want to crash anymore. I've done enough of that. But we had men's prayer. Came out, it had been raining. We came outside and kind of assessed the situation. It seemed like it had come down to just a trickle. I could have parked my bike here and taken one of the church vans home. I thought, I'm going to go for it. So I'm going up tramway. Everything's fine for a little ways. Get up to about Montgomery, and it starts pouring. And I have my goggles on. The only problem is they're covered with water, and they're fogging up, and all the headlights. You know what that looks like? And I can't see nothing. That's what you call the white-knuckle experience. Well, that's what happens when we um, harbor these things in our hearts and don't deal with them. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Your goggles get fogged up and you can't see. You can't see. This, again, is not talking about losing your salvation, but it is talking about losing sight of God in your relationship with Him. Without peace with all people as much as is within you and holiness, knowing that it's His holiness that He superimposes over us, Without that, no one will see the Lord. Well, let's move on here. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Still in verse 21. God wants us to have confidence when we come before Him. And there's the balance. We don't come before Him demanding, not my will, but thy will be done. That was the, the, what Jesus taught us. But at the same time, confident that He loves us, that He cares for us, that He does not condemn us. He wants us to come before Him with confidence. Therefore, He encourages us to do all we can to make sure our hearts are right when we do come before Him. And it's kind of a simultaneous event. It's in the process of coming before Him that we make sure our hearts are right. By confessing our our sins, repenting, asking for forgiveness. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, For we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus here, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He understands Jesus became a man so that man would never again be able to say, God doesn't understand. He's God. He doesn't have to deal with what we deal with down here on earth. God fixed that. He sent His Son into this world. Jesus lived for 33 and a half years or so on this planet. And He experienced every temptation that we could experience, but He did not sin. Therefore, He's able to help us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. What's grace? God's unmerited favor. So right from the get-go, you go before Him realizing you don't deserve it. But that's what makes His love so amazing. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. That's the other side of the coin from grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve salvation. 
We don't deserve eternal life, but by the grace of God, we can have it. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, and I think we all know what we do deserve, do we not? We deserve to go to some place that's extremely warm. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So our confidence comes from the knowledge that Jesus, our great high priest, is also the sinless Son of God who died in order that we might be forgiven of our sins and by his sacrifice we are given full access to the very throne of God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Do you remember when Christ gave up his spirit on the cross, it is finished? The Bible tells us that the temple veil or curtain was torn from top to bottom. Do you realize literally God reached down from heaven and tore that curtain in half? Because you see up to that point, that curtain divided the holy place from the most holy place and only the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place once a year and God's message was now every believer has full access to my presence and so when the writer of Hebrews which I believe is Paul says that by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body his body was torn, it was broken, mutilated for us, removing that veil between us and God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, again, this, like in the Old Testament, the sprinkling with the blood of bulls and goats, but now it's the blood of Christ, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, so many people are afraid to really come to grips with the fact that they are sinners. Well, I'm not really a bad person, especially compared to this guy over here. But once we realize, once you can be honest and truthful with yourself and say, yeah, you know what, God, that's what confession is. Confession is agreeing with God. God, you're right, I am a sinner. But once you can be honest and agree with God and say, you're right, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please wash me with the precious blood of Christ. And you realize it's nothing you've done. It's his sacrifice for your sins that has opened up the way. Then you can have a clear conscience. Not because you now believe, gee, I'm perfect and I always have been. No, because it doesn't matter anymore. God has forgiven you. God has set you free. God has taken you from darkness to light, from death unto life. You might still remember those deeds of the past, but the pain, the sting, the guilt, the shame has been removed because you now realize I'm no different than anybody else. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been forgiven. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And by the way, that is representative of the Word of God. 
The initial cleansing for our sins comes when we appropriate the blood of Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. But remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? And then in Ephesians, Paul tells husbands to wash their wives with the water of the word, even as Christ washes his church with the water of the word. And so, once you've been washed in the blood, again, the way you maintain your relationship with God and you avoid the condemnation of your heart is by daily bathing in the Word of God. You see how that works? Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do these things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, I suspect there are a lot of believers out there, not just here this morning, but out there, who uh, would probably say, well, I... I don't know. God never seems to answer my prayers. I kind of just gave up on prayer. But notice, we, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because, there's a because here, one, we keep His commandments. We're, we walk in obedience to Him. It's not really fair or realistic to expect God to answer your every prayer if you're not walking in obedience to Him. That's like your child being totally disobedient and expecting all kinds of perks for being your child. And there are a lot of kids like that, and there are a lot of parents, unfortunately, that indulge them. But that's not the way they should be raised. They should be raised to learn that there are rewards for proper behavior. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. They're found right here, baby not complicated, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. When we are in right relationship with our Father, now again, I can say this, and I bet you can too. God has blessed me in so many ways that I don't deserve. But, if we want to have that kind of relationship with God that results in answered prayer on a regular basis, then we need to stay in right relationship with Him, with our Heavenly Father. And if we do that, there's little, if anything, He would refuse us if it's within His power to give. And by the way, His power is unlimited. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will... So here's another qualifier. We keep His commandments... We do those things that are pleasing in His sight, and we ask any, according to His will. And you might say, well, I don't know His will in this situation. And so you tell God that, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. Father, I would like to see this certain thing happen. But above all, I pray that Your will would be done. But that, you can come confidently before God and still have that qualifier in your prayer. The faith people say you can't. The faith people say that if you pray, God, if it's your will, that that's a lack of faith. I think it's respectful and appropriate to submit yourself to the will of God. 
And when you, when you say, oh, no, you can't say that. You can't say if it be your will. You just got to tell God how the cow eats the cabbage. I call that pride and arrogance. And I don't think God blesses that. I know who does bless it. And we won't go any further on that one. You can think about that. Just as the cow eats the cabbage, you can chew on that one. Okay? This is the confidence we have in Him if we ask anything according to His will. He hears us. Again, if you want to have more prayers answered, you need to pray according to the will of God. And one of the best ways to know His will is to be in His Word. You see? I've known people that said it was God's will for them to divorce their spouse and marry somebody else. Uh, I could have told them right up front that wasn't the case. That doesn't line up with the Word of God. And there are many other examples like that. And people will blame God. They'll say, well, if God didn't want me to do it, He should have stopped me. He did. He did try to stop you. It's right here. Do you know that all the answers to life's most important questions are found in the Bible? You just got to read it. And then you have to obey it. I can't believe God let me get that STD. I only slept with 10 or 15 people. Shoot, this guy over here has been with 30 or 40. Look at Magic Johnson. Yeah, Magic Johnson got HIV too. So, Is that God's fault? I don't think so. You see how that works? And if we know that He hears us, how does He hear us? When we pray according to His will. If we... Well, you, you know what? Pray right, scriptures right out of the Bible. But again, if you don't know, say, God, I don't know. Here's what I think. Here's what I would like to see happen. But God, it's up to you. I submit my will to you, to your will. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. Now, one example would be, Peter tells us, God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Now again, everyone has to make their own personal choice, but we can pray with confidence for the salvation of our families, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, because it's God's will that everyone would be saved. Did you know that? And that kind of makes a problem for Calvinism. We talked about Arminianism, because Calvinism teaches that you're either predestined or you're not. And if you're not, there's nothing you can do about it. Might as well go eat worms. And eventually you will. God is not willing that any should perish. So you can pray with absolute confidence for their salvation, but they also have to make their own personal choice. Because contrary to what Calvinism teaches, man does have free will. See, Calvinism teaches that man does not have free will. It's all up to God. And if he doesn't like you, you're toast. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what Calvinism boils down to. And yet, did you know that over two-thirds of the churches in America today are Calvinists? Are you surprised by that? Did you know that at least two-thirds of American Christians uh, don't believe in the rapture of the church? Folks, if you're here and you believe what we teach, and we try to teach exactly what the Word of God says, you need to know you're in the minority. You know, we're not part of the big tent here. We're part of the pup tent. 
It's cozy, warm and cozy, isn't it? In this little pup tent. Are you surprised that the majority of people may not be embracing what the Bible really teaches? Are you surprised? And again, a lot of them really love God, but unfortunately they, uh, they're a little bit off in some areas, in my opinion. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So if this is our lifestyle, again, it's not a lifestyle of perfection. We haven't been perfected yet. But if this is our lifestyle, if this is what we endeavor to be in Christ, then our prayer lives will be filled with requests that come from the heart of God. And the success rate for this kind of prayer is 100%. John 15, 7, if you abide in me, live in me, not just go to church on Sunday, but actually live the lifestyle of a believer, walking in the truth, walking in the Spirit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, do you realize that God's Word, His Bible, His book is a supernatural book? And it has the power to transform lives? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind? It has the power to change your heart and your mind? To impart to you the mind of Christ? If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, because you will have the right kind of desires, and it shall be done for you. So as we faithfully walk in love and in truth, our knowledge and understanding of God's will, His plan, His purposes will become clearer and clearer to us. Verse 23, this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You see, God likes to keep it simple for us because we're simple. This is His commandment. Two parts of this commandment are simply a restatement of what John's already communicated. To believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. This equates with belonging to the truth, walking in the truth. Believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what does Jesus' name mean? Yeshua in the Hebrew, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, means God is our salvation. Christ is the English transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which is the Greek translation of Mashiach, Messiah. It means the anointed one. The anointed one, God, who is our salvation anointed by the Father to come into this world and to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Do you believe in that name? This is His commandment. Believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Wow, the second one, it would, you wouldn't think that it would be nearly as important, but from God's perspective, it is. Believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. And this is the same command Jesus gave when He was here on earth, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Could it be, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Again, your legalists will say, see, even Jesus said, you still got to follow the Old Testament law. Now, it's interesting. The ones that have to do with man's relationship with man are eternal and universal. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and so forth. Jesus said the greatest is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The legalists will tell you, you still got to go to church on Saturday. If you go to church on Sunday, you're going to hell. What if you go to church every week? Some people do, particularly in the Catholic faith and some of those, what we call the higher church. Jesus came to fulfill the law. That means if you know Jesus, if he lives in you, you've got it all. He is the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't a day, it's Jesus. The rest of God we find in Jesus Christ. All those Old Testament laws were simply mirror images of what we would have ultimately in Christ. All the commands of Christ are predicated upon these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, let me tell you, the only way I could ever love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is by, again, daily seeking Him, asking Him to fill me with His Holy Spirit. I love God. I really do. But I need Him to help me love Him the way He should be loved. Do you get it? And I also need Him to help me to love my neighbor as myself. Perhaps one of the greatest strategies of the enemy in these last days. Jesus predicted that because of the increase of lawlessness or wickedness, the love of most would grow cold. We're seeing more anger, more vitriol, more hatred, more vengeance, I think, than at any time in human history. And a lot of it is being directed towards those who love God. Now again, Christians have always been persecuted ever since the first century. But it's reached new heights. Jesus said it would happen. The challenge for us is we cannot allow it to cause our hearts to become hardened, for us to become bitter, for us to become hateful. We cannot afford to let our love grow cold. It's a daily challenge. It's a daily challenge. We need to love those transgenders that I talked about earlier, but we certainly don't need to expose our little kids to them. We can love them from afar. Maybe if we get a chance to talk to them, we can try to love them up close. We can pray for them. There's that old story, and, and our current president loves to tell it, about the serpent, the lady that finds the wounded snake. Have you heard that story? She takes him in. Nurtures him back to health, takes care of him, and then one day he turns on her and bites her and she dies. And he said, hey, she was shocked. Trump tells the story really well. I don't have it all down. 
She said, I, I don't understand. I took you in. I nursed you back to health. He says, lady, when you took me in, you knew I was a snake. Right? Maybe she should have just prayed for the snake and gone on her way. Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Affirming, this is called the love chapter in 1 Corinthians. Love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Powerful passage. We need to be well-versed in that passage if we're going to love our neighbor as ourself. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover over a multitude of sins. So much of the church splits and the division between believers and so forth is because we're not covering one another with love. And that's legalism. You expect the other person to be perfect when you clearly are not. It's the pharisaical attitude. And it does not promote peace and harmony in the body of Christ or in any other arena of life. And once again, I'd remind you, you hear me say this all the time, love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. The evidence that you are filled with God's Spirit, that you belong to Him and He lives in you, is that you are committed to loving. And as we saw last week, in actions and in truth, first of all, first, those nearest and dearest to you, we talked about this, regardless of how or what you feel like at any given point in time. All right, let's move on to, we're trying to get done here, we've got five minutes or so. Verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Didn't Jesus say in John 15, if you abide in me, my words abide in you? How do you abide in Christ? You keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Once again, I mentioned this last week. Actions speak louder than words. Words are important too, but they must be followed up with the right actions. The biblical definition of belief or faith has to do with action. It's an active word in the Bible. It's not passive. In other words, believing is doing. Joshua laid this out for the children of Israel as they prepared to enter the promised land, Joshua 24, 15. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, and there are those around who do have that attitude, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because as Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, the Euphrates, the Persians, the Chaldeans, on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, Canaan. But as for me and my house, what does Joshua say? We will serve the Lord. If Jesus truly lives in us, then we will do what Jesus would do. Not always, not perfectly, but hopefully more often than not. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. And what spirit would that be? Luke eleven thirteen. If you then being evil, earthly parents, know, to have, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So even as you ask God to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to save you by the blood of Christ, 
You also need to ask him, Father, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Daily. Day, that's the daily bread, by the way, that Jesus talked about. We think it's food. Right? We, we, lo we love to focus on that. Three squares a day, baby. Buffet time. The daily bread, folks, is the Spirit of God. Give us this day our daily bread. It can be material, physical sustenance as well. But even more importantly, it's the spiritual sustenance. How much more will I give the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? When's the last time you asked God to fill you with His Holy Spirit? You ought to do it every day. We need it every day. Is there one day in your life where you don't need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Now, we do believe here at Calvary Chapel in speaking in tongues. We don't make a big deal out of it. We don't do it in the services because that's not the appropriate time or place we believe. But one of the greatest blessings, I'll never forget this. I don't know if it's happened since, but one time my wife told me that in the middle of the night I was sleeping and she heard me praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. I'm probably more spiritual when I'm asleep, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and maybe you are too. That was great. I'll never forget it. I hope it happens more often, but at the same time, I hope she's getting such sound sleep that she doesn't notice. Do you pray for your loved ones to get a good night's rest? I do. It's important. Especially if we snore, right? Romans 15, 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Do we have that? Do we have a spirit of unity among us? I hope we do. I pray that we do. That's Paul's prayer for the Roman believers. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So which spirit are we talking about? We know that He abides in us by the spirit whom He has given us. We ask for that spirit. The manifestation of that spirit is a spirit of unity. It's a spirit of power. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're not intimidated by the devil. Again, we're not like these televangelists that go around stomping on the devil's head. But we're not afraid of him either, are we? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. A spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I told you we're living in the age of insanity. Without God, you're going to go nuts. Just face it. With him... You're going to have a sound mind. With him, without him. With him, without him. That's a little joke between my wife and I. And I guarantee you, it's not me saying to her, with me or without me. It's her saying to me, with me, without me. With me, without me. Do you have these? Do you have the spirit of power and love? and a sound mind, because that's your heritage, that's your legacy in Christ Jesus. Take a hold of it. Galatians 5.22, and we're done. The fruit, or another word you could put here, I've inserted, the fruit or the evidence. How do you know what kind of tree it is? By the fruit. By the fruit you shall know them. Wow, look, there's some peaches, honey. It must be an apple tree. Huh? No. If it's got peaches, it's a peach tree. If it's got apples, it's an apple tree. And if it's a Christian tree, it's got love. The fruit or evidence of the Spirit is love. 
which manifests itself in our lives in joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If our hearts do not condemn us, Let's pray. Father God, we know that it's not your will or your desire that our hearts condemn us. I suspect that many of us here this morning, myself included, are feeling somewhat convicted by your Holy Spirit. Your word shines a light into the darkest corners of our lives, and we see how miserably we fall short. But we are thankful for that, because if we didn't see that, then we would not strive to do better. We know we can only do better with the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives and by walking in the truth, which you have graciously, lovingly, mercifully provided for us in your holy scriptures. Lord, we do want to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We ask for your help, and we pray that as we close this morning, if there's anyone here, Lord, that needs to make a profession, a confession of faith in Christ. They need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. They've not done that. That they would come forward today and meet with one of the members of our prayer team and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, for others here today that maybe have really been touched by the teaching, realize there's some things they need to deal with, that they would take advantage of the opportunity and come for prayer. Lord, because your desire is always for our lives to be made right with you, to be in right relationship with you, to be reconciled, to be restored, to be healed. Lord, there might be someone who simply needs to come today and ask for prayer to be filled with your Holy Spirit, whatever it is. Maybe someone needs healing. Father God, you're a God of compassion. You do care about our sufferings. We pray that no one would leave here today disappointed or discouraged. Lord, we saw in your word how we need to come boldly or with confidence before your throne of grace seeking mercy in our time of need. We pray that everyone who needs to do that today would take advantage of this opportunity to receive the ministry of prayer from their brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.